0: listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here is your host, Jeff Harding. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to the podcast a little early uh, because of the recent release of both the State of Theology report and the Pew research report on the future of Christianity in America. I thought it would be fun and hopefully helpful to release this special episode and talk about both of those things and how they concern youth workers and working in youth ministry. So the very first one I wanted to get to, um, just because it's sort of a simple, short message, is the Pew Research Report. So the name of the report uh, is Modeling the Future of Religion in America. The byline is, if recent trends in religious switching continue, Christians could make up less than half of the U.S. population within a few decades. And there's a, um, one of the graphs um, shows uh, how and when U.S. Christians are projected to fall below 50% of the population, um, and that depends on several variables that they list as Switching. So there's no switching, steadily switching, rising disaffiliation with limits and rising disaffiliation without limits. And so these are projections and um, not so much predictions, just projections of what could happen based on formal demographic data. Um, But the one for me that stands out Uh, for this report, is the next graph, which is titled, U.S. nuns, those who don't affiliate with any religion whatsoever, will approach majority by the year 2070 if recent switching trends continue. Again, uh, this is a projection based on empirical data they have, not a formal prediction or saying this will happen. Uh, But nuns uh, is a term, not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S, is a term that we have had uh, lately in just our culture of Christian leadership and ministry. Um, I feel like especially with youth ministry, because it links very closely to um, students at some point leaving their faith or walking away from their faith, after high school, it could be for a certain amount of time, it could be period, and um, those numbers range from fifty percent all the way up to, depending on the study and the time frame, eighty plus percent. And so, what implications does that have for us? Well, I think it has a lot. And I think when it comes to the future projections and predictions and hopes of what the church in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 plus years will look like in America specifically. Kind of, I don't know if it starts, I think it starts in children's ministry, but it doesn't end with student ministry. But student ministry is a vital peg in the tower of how to structure someone's faith, who they are, their identity, so many things. And just like teaching in schools, just like parenting uh, and in ministry, with the growth of technology, with the advancement of culture overall, it could be just trends, it could be just how human history and culture is progressing often things seem more difficult than they were before. That's not always the case. I think it is the case most of the time that it's more complex than it ever has been before. I think most of that has to do with technology. Uh, We've had episodes on here. I'm sure many of you have read articles, listened to other podcasts, watched other people talk about how Technology itself, but especially addictive elements of it, including social media, self-perception, pornography, um, just all these different things actually affects the gray matter in your brain. It triggers fight or flight or responses or just different things of how students perceive themselves and perceive the world around them and certainly perceives their faith. And all of that combined in that mixer um, produces students who are more anxious, who are more insecure, who are more unsure of who they are, what they want to do, who they want to be, what they want to represent, what their dreams are, what they strive for, um, all of those things. And so I think when it comes to the nuns, people who do not associate with any sort of faith, I think youth ministry specifically plays a massive role. I won't say it's the most important one. I will say that it's foundational and vital um, to the future of Christians in America. Now, I'm not going to get into breaking down, okay, I did look at some of the methodology, um, specifically of the State of Theology report, not this one, but with surveys and polls and all that overall, uh, you have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt. Now, I know perhaps those of you watching and listening based on your political affiliation might have a certain like or a strong dislike of polls <laughs> based on uh, recent elections and things like that. Um, for me, being a political science major, one thing that has always stuck with me um, is a class that I actually took over again. Um, I didn't technically fail it, but I did get a D, so I had to take it over again. It's the exciting, super enthralling class of empirical political inquiry. Blah. And one of the main things that I picked up there, I guess twice because I did it over again, um, is especially when it comes to informal polls, but then can stretch to surveys, how you gather and determine empirical data and how you interpret it. What I'm speaking of is the basics of the accuracy of a poll or a survey of a sample group, and then the, um, uh, margin of error. So plus or minus 1%, 2%. And so when you see polls reflected on the news, um, especially for political polls, but even surveys of different things, you'll probably see in the corner or hear mentioned, you know, there's a plus or minus 2% or 3% margin of error when it comes to these results. So if, um, uh, Political race is 51 to 49 with uh, plus or minus 2% um, margin of error, it's anyone's race. Um, and as a basic rule of thumb when it comes to empirical data, accuracy, and error, um, basically to assure that you have zero margin of error is to you have to go all the way back to about 85% accuracy. When you get to 90, 95, um, that's when you start hitting minimums of 1%, 2%, things like that. And when you get all the way up to 99% accuracy, it's like plus or minus five or six percent. Okay? And so as you get more sure of what it can be the actual possibility of what it can be widens because you're very very sure as you get close that it definitely has to be somewhere in here and when you back up far away you're like well I'm only 85% sure um, but the farther I am I away the farther I am away from this I'm like well probably within here. And then if you get more accurate, your margin of error compounds. And so when it comes to data and polls and empirical studies, um, you have to take some of that into account. Now, most, I feel like the the floor, if you will, for a lot of these studies is usually about 95% and usually about plus or minus 2% margin of error. So that's usually... What you'll see with the majority of these studies. Now, can these statistics help us? Yes. Are any of these studies 100% accurate? No. In fact, this Pew Research one specifically makes sure to set the context of these are only possibilities. They are not meant as predictions of what will happen. And so to categorize it and couch it like that is important. But, of course, when it comes to things that we want or things that we want to emphasize, either as an illustration in our message or something like that, just being able to quote statistics to back up our point or to provide shock and awe um, for our students, um, that's that's fun. Uh, but when it comes to actual empirical data and studying, those are usually the boundaries when it comes to accuracy and margin of error. Okay, enough of that boring Uh, textbook class discussion. All right, let's move to uh, the more juicy of the studies, if you will, uh, the State of Theology. Uh, You can find this by going to thestateoftheology.com. And this was a joint study done by Legionnaire and um, Lifeway. And uh, so, these uh, questions are asked of The sample size was 3,011 U.S. adults. And uh, most of the questions break down to, um, here's what the U.S. adult finding is, and then here's what the U.S. evangelical finding is. Let me skip down to the bottom here to go over. They do qualify. Here's here's how we categorize people who are evangelicals, because that's a term that is more and more thrown out as a cultural identifier. And when it comes to theology, theology seems to be kind of cherry-picked, take and go. I'll have some of that, have some of that. Like it seems to be mixed up. Uh, Depending on where you are in the evangelical scale, if you're like a super conservative evangelical, more moderate, you might agree or disagree with that statement. But when it comes to culture and how we are perceived, I definitely think evangelical is more of a cultural force these days more than a theological alignment or we know that everyone who's an evangelical has all these things because that's quickly becoming not true. All right, here's how um, this state of theology study, here's how they qualified for the 3,011 people, their sample size, who are evangelicals. They have to strongly agree with these four statements. The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. It is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. Only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. All right, so... Uh, I'm, I'm not going to cover every single one of these questions. There are several that I do want to address specifically. Uh, the first one is uh, the first one on their website as far as a key finding, and that's addressing the idea that does God change? Here's the statement that they had to strongly disagree, 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 um, are moderate on, uh, not, not, not sure. I should say, um, somewhat agree or strongly agree. God learns and adapts to different circumstances. I feel like the most important thing about that statement are the first two words. God learns. For as what's understood as, um, orthodox theology about who God is in the historical church. And I realize when I say that, the more you listen to podcasts like the Bible project and all kinds of things. Um, what do we mean by orthodox? That could be, uh, that's a huge broad brush thing. Um, what I mean is when you look at the creeds, when you look at um, the apostles, when you look at scripture, when you look at things that have the main line of, Understanding, especially this side of the Protestant Reformation, understanding of who God is, is that God is immutable. God does not change. And the fact that you would say that God learns not only suggests that God doesn't, that God changes, but that God's knowledge is not comprehensive, is not extensive, it's not full. That means that God the creator of the universe, doesn't actually know everything there is to know, he's still learning. Um, and adapts to different circumstances. So that, could, that doesn't just suggest knowledge, that, that suggests, hey, there's a situation that came up and I have to learn how to handle it and that'll help me learn how to handle things in the future. Major problem uh, for what I understand to be traditional, orthodox, solid uh, Christian theology, evangelical theology for sure. And 32% strongly agree and 20% somewhat agree that God does learn and adapt to different circumstances. That's a U.S. adult finding. You would say, okay, well, that's a bunch of U.S. adults. What's the evangelical finding? Evangelical finding is that 5% somewhat agree and 43% strongly agree. 48% of U.S. evangelicals, evangelicals being the people who strongly agree to those four qualifiers I listed a minute ago, agree that God does learn and adapt to different circumstances. That is a problem. All right, the next one is uh, deals with original sin. So everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Um, for U.S. adults, it's very high, 71% agree. U.S. evangelicals, 65% agree. And out of that 65% who agree, 61% strongly agree. <clears throat> now, I know age of accountability is something that Certainly, um, I think stems from Catholic theology, uh, but it's a question that's been asked for a long time. Uh, It's a question that uh, I uh, talked about in um, a student question series I did uh, where um, someone, I had a student ask, um, hey, what about those who are too young? Or perhaps mentally incapable of processing what it means uh, to accept Christ and to have faith. And what I chose to hone in on is uh, the story of David and Bathsheba, and God saying that this child was going to die in a week, and David. Uh, putting himself in sackcloth, sitting in ashes, lamenting and praying and begging God to not take this child. And when God did what he said he was going to do and took the child at the end of the week, um, David's advisors outside were afraid to go in and tell him that it happened because they're like, if he's been like this for a week and we tell him that the child died, What's he going to do to himself? What? what what's he going to do to others? Like, what's going to happen? So they told him. He immediately stood up, cleaned himself up, you know, and started to go about his business. And they're like, what is wrong? Like, what is wrong with you? How could you have that reproach? And he's like, God heard me, listened to me. Um, I did everything that I knew to do, but, um, you know, My child is in the hands of God now. And the language he uses there describes a child as being in the presence of God, as being with God. And that is one of, that's probably the main one, but one of a few passages, Old Testament, New Testament combined of suggesting that, hey, you know what? God is a God of love. God is just, but God is also merciful. When God makes a decision we can't say, oh, well, you made a decision. That means you're not just anymore. He's the one who defines what it means because he created it and he created everything. And he's able to 100% all the time fully expend and display all the characteristics of love, justice, mercy, grace simultaneously. We cannot do that. We're not biologically capable of doing that. When we think about John one and Jesus being full of grace and full of truth. When we approach it, we have to take like a metaphysical scale and say, "Well, I'm going to lean a little more on truth and a little bit more on grace this time." And um, Jesus is able to do those things, dispense them simultaneously. And Jesus is fully God, which we'll get to in this report. Um, Jesus is fully God and fully man, and God, of course, Himself is is God. He's the creator, he's all-powerful, and um, he can choose to make that choice. Um, And it's not uncharacteristic of who he is. That being said, original sin, the idea that all of us are born needing a Savior, um, is again a foundational approach to why we believe that Jesus is the only way. And that was one of the qualifiers uh listed below only by accepting uh and trusting that Jesus's death on the cross, you know, happened for you is the only way to ensure salvation eternally for you with God. And yet 65% of US evangelicals say, "But everyone's born innocent in the eyes of God." Now I understand the age of accountability thing and how that might make that a little bit more complex and confusing, but I think the broad implications of it are very disturbing. The next statement of the report that I would like to get to, uh, is statement number 16. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Uh, 2022 U S adults, not just evangelicals, 53% agree. Um, now, I think we have to be careful and separate what it means to be literally true and when the Bible is literal or not, literal or metaphorical, things like that. Um, but that in itself, um, you know, biblical literacy is a huge problem in the evangelical church. I feel like multiple Christian traditions as well, but the evangelical church, it's kind of embarrassing the low. Uh, threshold or number amount um, uh, of people who have biblical literacy. Um, It's a very sad thing uh, and it's leading to a lot of these next issues. I'm going to skip the ones about gender identity and sex because those in itself are very complicated and take a lot more time to go through those well than just this broad overview. Okay. The next one, uh, this is, these are trends within us evangelicalism, uh, statement number three, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Uh, this is one of the many stats where in 2020, the numbers that the percentages, the percentage of people who agree with things that are against Typical Orthodox Christianity goes down, like it goes in the right direction of where it should for 2020. This, along with multiple other issues, and it's like okay, COVID. Did COVID spark a rightness of realization of who God is and how we're to worship, um, or what Scripture says, or who Jesus is? I don't know. There's a whole another series of podcasts I could go into why all these data discrepancies about 2020. Um, but with 2022, we land at 56% say, yes, God accepts the worship of all religions. Now here's, I want to make the distinction for us, especially when we're teaching our students. Um, if you go out into a national park or something like that, and you just acknowledge like, wow, look at the amazing beauty. If any person does this not like a christian like any person at all goes out and just acknowledges this wow this is beautiful this is awesome i think god takes that and acknowledges that for his glory because he rightly should take the credit for creating it so i think that's an example of um you know not singing the latest chris Tomlin song or whatever uh of how god only accepts worship um, but anyone acknowledging the beauty of his creation, I think God accepts that as you know what? thank you like at the very least he accepts it as, as accomplishment. does he accept it as like full worship? probably not if you get in into the heart of it, which is um why we look at this question in 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 despair and say that many people um ignore uh what Scripture says about what God accepts as worship, uh, the first priest, Aaron, and his sons offered that sacrifice and the burnt offering and the aroma and everything else did it incorrectly, and God killed them. and um, in a New Testament, the beginning of his ministry, very, very clear, Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus says, "Hey, if you have an issue with your brother, go reconcile that with him." lay down your gift at the altar first. Don't give it to God in worship because as he says in the minor prophets, major prophets uh, and moving forward, like, like your your worship to me is like a clanging gong. Like it's annoying, it's terrible, I don't accept it and it's I it's bad to hear. Like it makes me angry to hear it. So God looks at the heart of those who worship him. Now, God looks at, someone's heart and if um you know I had a student question once of hey people in the old testament or even people in the in the New Testament when they worship God like did they worship just God the Father? Did they worship Jesus? Did they worship just the Holy Spirit? All all three did they have a did they have the comprehension to acknowledge how to do that? Um I don't know. Uh but uh, you know just like God accepts I think just as God hears and loves the prayer of a child who maybe doesn't get the terminology the order right or for something trivial or silly or anything like that um I think God hears that and loves that and when it comes to us not being able to get things right but you know we ask him for things we give thanks for him um you know, if someone has, in my view, and I think uh, historical, at least evangelical views of, hey, thank you for um, this person who who died, and now they 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 have a new body and they're with you in heaven. It's like, actually, theologically, that's not correct. So the, but does God say, well, because you got that theological point wrong, I'm not listening to you? No, because one, that's very arrogant of us because for us to say my God only jumps and ducks, according to how I interpret theology is very arrogant and self-centered, but also no God is loving and merciful. So with those examples of being in nature and ignorance, you know, and things like that, it's like, I think God hears that, listens to that. Maybe like, I would think even honored that you would approach him in that way. But when it comes to giving thanks to Allah, um, or, um, Judaism is so tricky, so very tricky, um, because it's, it is God the Father, but if, especially as evangelicals, Protestants, we say, well, God is a triune God, and, um, if people who are listening who have a, a Judaic background can correct me on things, I'm happy to take feedback because I definitely know that there are several things I often get wrong with other religions, probably, when talking about them. Um, but I'm pretty sure Jews don't believe that God is a triune God. And I think it's just God is Father, God is Creator, which that part is right. Um, so, the short answer is no, God does not accept worship of all religions. Certainly like these three make sense because when you have Ishmael, you have Abraham, you have Jesus, you have, you know, so like for these three, um, religions that stem from who we know God is and God, the father, God, the creator and Abraham and all that, that makes sense. But certain to ask the question in that way, the answer is no, that's a good question to ask. Um, when it comes to other religions, Buddhism, whatever else, like Obvious, no, definitely not. Um, Okay, uh, not going to touch on too many more because this episode is going long. uh, But uh, I'm going to end with this one. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. U.S. Evangelical finding. Uh, Back in 2020, again, kind of a weird year for some of these questions. 30% agree. Of that 30, 26% strongly agree. This is U.S. evangelical adults. Like, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 2022, goes up to 43% overall agree, 38% strongly agree. I think it stops and ends with that, especially for evangelical churches, especially for the history of... Christianity, Orthodox, however you interpret Orthodox, even you can't get around this one. If you don't think Jesus is God, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um and if we have students leaving our ministries saying, Well, I mean, he's the son of God and he did great things and he and he died for us, but you know, I mean, God's in heaven, and I don't I just don't think Jesus was God man, we have really dropped the ball. Um, uh, next week I'm going to be recording something, uh, recording episode with a guest talking about how to have good Christ centered storytelling. Uh, that episode probably won't drop, um, for a while, but, um, yeah, if we miss this fact, I I really don't know what to tell you. So, What's the point of looking at the Pew Research study and the state of theology? Is just some specific ways to think about, um, but also just to reaffirm what we know to be true of our discipleship in the evangelical church is strongly lacking. Um, it's terrible. Um, I'm not going to paint the broad brush of well, it's all culture's fault or whatever. Culture has an influence, but you know what? just like the generational gap stuff of um, boomers or even Gen X looking at millennials, Gen Z, and now Gen Alpha of like all these younger generations. They're snowflakes, they're participation trophies, they're lazy, they're whatever else. Um, Well, look in the mirror because who's the one who gave them the participation trophy? Who's the one who raised them? Who's the one who's... Who is the generation who is supposed to d- disciple them? Oh yeah, that's you. So when we look at the future of the church or even the state of the church now and think, man, how can all, all these churches or all these people who aren't us or our church or our ministry be getting it wrong? Because it's so clear. Yeah, we have to look at ourselves and each other and what we're doing to network and connect with others to help make sure our discipleship, our teaching, our community and how we encourage people who, students especially, who have terrible home lives and have no sense of community or belonging. We really need to do a better job at doing what we all know we're supposed to be doing. And if you are helping lead a youth group right now, or you're involved at a church at all, and you believe and maybe even are telling and teaching that, you know what, Jesus really wasn't God. Um, Yeah, I'd encourage you to really stop Have a discussion with me, with anyone else around you to be able to talk about how that's the main thing you cannot miss as a believer and follower of Jesus is that he is fully God, fully man. Now that dichotomy is weird to hold, but he's fully God, fully man. Like read John 1, read so many other passages in scripture. um, We can't miss that one. All right. I'm starting to ramble a little bit, but this Special episode is purely stream of consciousness. There's no bullet points for me to read. There's no guests for me to interview. It's just me reacting to it for you. So I hope you enjoyed this special episode. I'm looking forward to uh, season three officially kicking off here in a few weeks on Monday, October 10th. And we have some great guests lined up, um, some great topics. If you have any questions or feedback on anything listed in these reports or my opinions of them and my reaction to them, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email, send me a a message on social media, any of that. I would love to maybe even interact with some of you, uh, not just on social media or email, but maybe even as a guest, if you're interested. Uh, I think dialogue is good and needed. Well, thanks so much for tuning in for this special episode. Look forward to seeing uh, and engaging with you all for this next season of Youth Ministry Maverick. I'm really excited to bring back the podcast after a long break. And I hope you are too. I hope it's beneficial for you as you continue to invest in the next generation. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And be sure to check out our website, youthministrymaverick.com There you can see a comprehensive list of our guests, their bio information, some organizations that can help you in your ministry, some articles I've published, and a store to help support the podcast. Also, we would love if you give us a review on Apple Podcasts, not just a rating, but a review. It helps our visibility and we would really appreciate that. If you do leave us a review, Take a screenshot of it and send it to me, and I will personally mail you a thank you card with some podcast swag that you can't get on the store. Well, that does it for today. Thanks again for listening. Please share this if it helps others that you know, and we hope that you've been encouraged by it. Until next time, adios.